Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 26 says, These are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. Now, spoiler alert, as the kids would say, they were slaves. They were nobody, Brother Tex. They were, I mean, they were the children of God. That makes a difference, doesn't it? It makes a difference to be called chosen and faithful. It makes a difference when God chooses because they were slaves in Egypt. But God said, Aaron, Moses, you go bring out the children of Israel according to their armies. Because the world might have looked at them and said they were slaves, but God looked at them and said they're a mighty army. I want to talk to you today. Uh, from this thought or this title, The Delegations of God's Divine Army. Let's pray one more time before we see it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for, for your presence and, and everything you've already, already done today. And uh, God, I thank you because your word, it is powerful. I pray today that you will talk to us out of your word. Give us open minds, open spirits to receive exactly what you want to say. I pray, God, let me speak exactly what you want spoken, nothing more and nothing less. And God, will thank you for it. I pray, God, you confirm your word tonight in our hearts, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. With that, you can be seated. I read a book, this has been a few decades ago, not a few, okay, I'm not that old, but a couple of decades ago. Uh, David McCullough wrote a book called 1776, and it's about the... Uh, Revolutionary War, in fact, it, it just gets to the point where, where Washington crosses the Delaware, and that's where the book ends. So there's not a whole lot of fighting in this book, but it's about the, 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 the activities leading up to 1776, uh, in that year, leading up to the Revolutionary War. And one thing that jumped out at me... I've learned, Sister Lindsay, that I can read a 300-page book, but if I get one cool idea out of it, it was worth the hassle. And uh, so I was reading this book, and it was talking about how they assembled the, the Revolutionary War uh, soldiers, the, the, co- the colonial soldiers. Uh, you know, they, they sent them through boot camp. They trained Brother Pat. They, they dug trenches, and they set up uh, obstacles and... And they, 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 they did all the, whatever training they were supposed to do. Did I tell you I read this book a couple decades ago? Okay, so I don't remember all the details. But I'm, I'm going to give you the big important thing here in just a moment. They trained all these men. They, you know, they're excited because we are about to overthrow the British in the country. We're going to drive them out of here, you know. And so they got all kinds of volunteers that came and they're excited to be part of the army that's going to just, just get rid of the, the king and, and we're going to have our own country. And they're excited about that. And so they trained and they, they were preparing to just whoop up on them British. And they were preparing for a British attack and it never came. Months and months and months they spent there and no attack came. They were ready to fight, but there was no fighting to be done. And, and so they became idle. And as those, can you just imagine, you can imagine how much trouble, you know how much trouble like three or four guys left to their own devices can get into. Y'all can laugh now. 
you know, you just let three or four guys just be left to their own device. Even church guys can get in mild trouble. I got one real solid amen here in the middle section, but I'm not going to point at who. <laughs> you know, I learned a long time ago, Brother Cruz, that uh, whenever I was in the world, you know, we, we would do things that were not savory, and, and, and I understood that there were guys that were married and their husbands would get drunk and they'd stay out too long and they'd get in trouble when they came home. I figured out after I got in church that you don't have to have alcohol to stay out too long and get in trouble. That you can, you can be having good, clean fun and hang out and still be out too late. But that's not part of the message. So these, these soldiers are all camped together, thousands of them, with nothing to do. And so they got into serious mischief. They broke into distilleries and they drank all the whiskey. Uh, they, they actually looted shops and stole things out of shops. I think it was in, maybe they were in Boston. I, I can't remember. Uh, they, they, they just got into serious trouble and, and other, th- other things that we won't even talk about tonight from this pulpit. They got in serious trouble because they didn't have any fighting to do. And I wrote, I don't know if I wrote in the, in, the, in the margin of that book, but I wrote it in a notebook somewhere, that there are real dangers to serving in an idle army. Because if the soldiers, those people that are excited about being there, and they are ready to fight, and they're ready to be victorious, if they're not engaged in a battle, they're going to get engaged in something else. We in the church, we've got to be careful because if we don't get engaged in the battle, if we don't get engaged in pursuing things in the kingdom, we'll get involved in something else. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about sinful things, but we will follow some type of passion in our life. I want my passion to be focused on the things of God. I wish somebody would say amen with me. If you want, if you want your passion... You know, I'm sorry I heard somebody preach this today, and I, I just, I'll, I'll steal this real quick. You only have so much passion. You only have a certain level of passion. You can only give yourself uh, passionately to uh, so much stuff. And if we give ourselves, our attention, our efforts, our desires to some worldly activity, we won't have any left over for Jesus. I want to make sure that my passion is focused on Jesus. I want to make sure that He, I said it Sunday, I want to make sure that He is my magnificent obsession. Oh God, I don't want to be distracted by the things of this world because if I'm not focused on Him, something from this world is going to get my attention. And so we are part of an army. Uh, I, this, this section of Scripture in Matthew 24 has always been interesting to me. He is on the Mount of Olives and Jesus says to His disciples, Take heed that no man deceive you. They're going to come in My name saying, I'm Christ. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, those kinds of things. He goes on and he says in verse number 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, he was speaking to his disciples, but those things did not come to pass in the lives of his disciples. He was talking about a day in the future when his church was going to be hated of all nations. Now, I, I, uh, I just have a, a little 
thought for you here. And that is, the apostolic church is not hated by all nations. Because not all nations even know we exist. But God's going to do something in the last day before all this is wrapped up so that all the world knows who the church is. So that all the world recognizes... There was a day, there was a day, Brother Pat, whenever Jesus went to the carpenter shop one last time. He locked the door on the carpenter shop and he walked to the Jordan River. And there was a man clothed in camel skin and he, and he had breath that smelled like locusts. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There was a day when Jesus' life was revealed for who He was. There's going to be a day when the church is revealed. There is a yearning and a longing. Doesn't even creation yearn for the manifestation of the sons of God? There's going to be a day when there's, the lights are going to come on and God's going to reveal His church. Amen. That's exactly right. I wish you'd hear me tonight. I'm excited about end time revival. I, I believe it's going to come in some of our lifetimes. There may be some of us sitting here today that won't see the fulfillment of it, but I believe there's folks here today that are going to see worldwide apostolic revival and outpouring. I believe, I believe with everything that's within me that this is the generation that's going to see Him coming in the clouds, that's going to hear the trump. I believe that's this generation and we are going to see a massive outpouring of the Spirit. Hey, just forget about this building holding any kind of harvest in this region. We are going to see people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that will absolutely blow our minds. If He started out on the day of Pentecost with the first revival, the seed was 3,000. On day one, that was the seed. What is He going to do in the end time? Because He said in Haggai 2 and 9, The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. He said in Joel 2 and 23, He said, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He's given you the former rain moderately, and He will cause to come down the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. He said the latter, and the latter rain is always greater than the former rain. We're going to get it all in the end time. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7 and 8, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Ah, Better That's right. Is anybody as excited about this as I am? I'm excited that what I read in the book of Acts was the beginning of a thing. But he said in his word, the end is going to be better than the beginning. Whatever Paul and Peter and, and all those apostles saw, it's going to be greater in the end. In our lifetime, it's going to be greater. Habakkuk 2 and 14 says this, and I want you to know this. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All the earth is going to know Him. All the earth is going to see His glory, is going to know His glory. And that's going to be revealed through the church. And so, I want to talk to you about this church that is supposed to be an army. I, I, I spoke about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, in our, our Greater Things class, uh, on, on uh, it was a Thursday night or a Saturday night after prayer, and I talked about 
uh, spiritual warfare, and we talked about some of those things, that the church is supposed to be an invasion force. Uh, and we've, we've talked about that for the last few Wednesday nights. We've talked about ministering unto the Lord and spiritual warfare and, and things like that. But I, I want to I talk to you tonight about divisions and, and delegations in a divine army. Is that okay? Uh, the first army mentioned in the Bible, almost the first, Actually, the word army appears in around Genesis chapter, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there, uh, which was an army of 600 people. And it was uh, Abraham going to go rescue Lot. But the next time that the army is mentioned, and probably the greatest army that's ever mentioned in the Bible, is Israel in the wilderness. As I said before, they weren't a... They, they, weren't, they weren't an army. They were... They were they were slaves. But God looked at them and said, you're an army. And they were, they were divided up. It was very uh, organized. You can read through the book of Exodus, through the book of Numbers, and uh, if, you've got the, if you've got the mental fortitude, you can read through those books and you can pick apart how those folks were supposed to camp the orders that everybody was supposed to be in, all the assignments uh, that, that, that each division had, it's, uh, it, it's really, you've you got to be tough, but you can do it. I mean, just, just wave at me if you've read the book of, of Numbers and loved it. Okay, all right, we've got about 10% going on here. And, and I got, I got <laughs> there's about 10% that said they loved it, and, and, and half of those, somebody looked at them like, are you serious? I'm going to tell you, Brother Pat, I have really gotten into First Chronicles over the last few weeks, reading through all that stuff, Brother Tex, and all those names, and I love to just kind of dig in there and see what I can find, you know, because nobody's mining those, those, those grounds. So I'm trying to dig in there and find some neat stuff, but you read through Numbers and read through uh, Exodus, and you'll find some interesting things about how this divine army was supposed to encamp and how it was supposed to move. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. He, he says that, that the, the, the tabernacle is going to be set up. And, and he says in front of the gate, in front of the door of the tabernacle, the high priest is supposed to pitch his tent. And, and that's where the high priest and his family is. And then there's going to be some Gershomites over here and some Merarites over here and some Kohathites uh, over here. And then he tells the every individual tribe exactly where they are supposed to be camped. Uh, on the east side, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon, they're going to camp, and, and that's called the camp of Judah. And on the, uh, on, on the, is that the north side? I'm trying to make this compass in my head, but uh, on the south side, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, they, they're on the, uh, or I'm sorry, they're on the west side, and then on the uh, the north side, it would be Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And on the south side, Reuben, and Simeon, and Gad. And if I said those directions wrong, please uh, uh, please forgive me. But if they'll put that graphic up on there that has the, the locations of all the, uh, all the tribes of Israel, it's, it's very interesting to look at that. And immediately, we should realize that 
as they camped around that tabernacle, Brother Pat, if you were in a drone or a jet going over top of the camp of Israel, you would see a giant cross in the middle of the desert. That just does something for me. That in the very beginning... God has this stuff figured out. He knew the end from the beginning. And, and, and so here's this giant cross that's moving through the wilderness. And that's how they would camp. And God said, that's how you're going to camp. Now there's something interesting about the, the way that they camped. And if they'll just leave that graphic up there, that'll be fine. Uh, they were told when you camp here you are to set your tent in such a way that the door of your tent faces the tabernacle. Every tent that's there is going to face the tabernacle. There were no sentries, no watchmen, and no one looking out for the enemy. What they were supposed to do was they were supposed to watch the cloud and the flame. There's a pillar of cloud and there's a pillar of flame at night. You watch that. Don't be worried about the enemy. I think that's a good lesson for us. Because we can be so distracted by the things of this world. We can get our eyes... He said, I, I, don't want, I want you to go to bed looking at the presence of God. And I want you to get out of bed looking at the presence of God. And I don't want you to be concerned with anybody else. If we'll get our focus on Him, if God be for us... And so there they were, they, they focused on the presence of the Lord and, and they, they were in that shape of a cross and whenever they moved out, it says in Numbers chapter 2 verse number 9 that, that, that it was the camp of Judah that would set forth first. When you see that cloud begin to move, Judah is the one that's going to follow the cloud. I, I want you to uh, remember this, we can never forget the preeminence of praise. Praise is so vital. Uh, it, it doesn't make me the least bit nervous to teach to folks that are listening quietly. But it does make me nervous to go to a church service where there's supposed to be singing and shouting and clapping going on and, and folks are doing a Mount Rushmore impersonation. That makes me nervous because there's power in praise. We can never, never forget... There's power in... If you're heavy, if you're burdened, if you're depressed, if you're sad, if you're down, if you don't feel like praising, just start praising Him. You know, I, I, I... I've been in churches where it seemed like, well, I will clap, I will shout, I will dance, I, I will do that when the, when the presence of God hits me. Now, please tell me, folks... Why was it that David, who had no access to being filled with the Holy Ghost, would dance before the Lord with all of his might? You don't need to wait to feel it to begin to worship and praise God. You need to begin to worship and praise God, and then you'll feel it. Don't let... Do not allow that thought in your mind. When I feel the presence of God, I'll get excited. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go. I got excited just thinking about going to the presence of God. If you'll get excited about thinking about His presence, His presence is going to show up. Praise God. Oh, why don't you give Him a shout? Give a shout unto God.
with a voice of triumph. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Now, silence might make me nervous every now and then, but I think your praise makes the devil nervous every now and then. When we begin to put Jesus Christ on the throne. Yeah, man. We enthrone Him. Yeah, man. Tell me, Bible scholars, what is the most unruly member of your body? The tongue. But, he says, if, if anybody can control the tongue... Control the whole... He, he, he said, he, he starts to compare the tongue to a, a ship. He says, that little helm on a big ship, you turn that helm and the, and the ship will follow. And he, he, he compares it to a, to a horse. He says, you put that bit in that horse's mouth. In the mouth. Somebody say, in his mouth. You put that bit in his mouth. All you got to do is point his mouth in the right direction. And the whole horse is going to follow. When we begin to praise God... With our voice, we're putting Him on the throne of our life. And that most unruly member, we're saying, my whole body, my everything that I am, I'm submitted to you and I'm going to follow you. I wish one more time we clap our hands and give a shout of praise unto the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We need to praise the Lord because it submits us to Him. Uh, and, and so they would camp, and whenever the cloud began to move, they would, they would follow the cloud. Don't, 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 don't confuse what I just said. Uh, we don't follow praise. Praise follows God. Okay? And so whenever the cloud moved, I told you there was nobody watching to see if there were any enemies. Nobody's blowing a trumpet if there's an enemy. But when the cloud moved, somebody blew a trumpet. And that trumpet meant, hey, it's time to pull some tent pegs. Time to roll up some bed rolls. It's time to go. Because the presence of God is leaving. And if the presence of God is I want to go wherever He's going. I want to go wherever He is going. And so, when the cloud moved, again, this is, it's either in the book of Numbers, the book of Leviticus, the book of, some of it's in the book of First Chronicles. They had to tear down that tabernacle and pack it up. And so when that cloud moved and they, they sounded the alarm, it's time to give they, when it was time to bug out. I know none of y'all watched MASH. Y'all sanctified folks, nobody saw MASH, but it was time to bug out. The high priest would go, or somebody from one of the children of Aaron, they, they would go into the holy place and they would take down that, that heavy veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies. They would take down that veil and they would drape it over the Ark of the Covenant. And they would take the, the staves or the, we'd call them West Virginia, we'd call them sticks. They'd take those staves that, that went in the golden rings on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. They'd slide those, those staves into the side of the Ark of the Covenant. And they would, they would take a piece of, of fabric, I, I believe it was purple fabric, and they would go and they would, they would wrap the, uh, the, the, the golden candlestick. They would wrap it with a piece of, 
of fabric and they would find another stave and they would tie each end of that fabric to the stave. And so that the golden candlestick could be carried on a stave and they would, they would take all the, the little furniture things, the, 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 the snuff dishes. They didn't do snuff. That meant to put a fire out, by the way. That's real West Virginia preaching right there. They, 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 they took the spoons and, and all, the, all the stuff that, that they used in the, in the ministry, in the tabernacle, and they would wrap those in, in pieces of cloth and they would tie them to staves. And uh, they, they put a cloth over the, the altar of incense and they put a cloth over the table of showbread and they put staves in the sides of those so that they could be carried away. And then all of the movement of the tabernacle, and it, if, uh, if they could put up the picture of the tabernacle, it's not an actual photograph of the actual tabernacle. I know that because there's a power box there on the lower left-hand corner. So after the, the staves were put in the, the, the brazen altar, and they, they, I'm not sure how they carried the brazen laver, but after it was covered, and uh, they then would come in after the sons of Aaron had covered that stuff, then the, the sons of Kohath would come in, and they would carry those things. They would, they would get a hold of the staves and they would carry them away. It's very interesting to me, Sister Jesse, that those, the sons of Kohath could not touch any of those pieces of furniture. That's why the small things were wrapped in fabric and put on a stave. And, and, and all the other, the large pieces of furniture had staves in them. They could go in and they would, they, would, they would get underneath the stave and they would lift those and carry them on their shoulders. But they could not touch the piece of furniture. Yuza should have read that part of the Bible. Because Yuza touched the Ark of the Covenant whenever David was bringing it back to Jerusalem and God smote Yuza uh, for his, his, his breach there. Uh, and so they were, it's, it's just fascinating to me. They weren't allowed to touch any of it, but they could touch the stave. And they would carry the stave. And then, then would come in the sons of uh, the, the Merari and the sons of Gershom. Gershom was responsible for all the curtains, all the coverings, and all the hangings. And so they would go in and they would fold up all of the curtains and all the coverings. Is this okay? Y'all bored yet? Okay. I'm, I'm going someplace, I promise. You can read this. This is all in the Bible, but I'm, I'm just, just in case you miss this part, I want you to see this. That Gershom came in. They, they came in and, and they folded up all these things. And, and God spoke to Moses and said, they got to have some wagons. So get them boys some wagons and, uh, and get them something to pull the wagons with. And they're going to fold up all those curtains, all the hangings and stuff. And they're going to pack them away on a wagon and they're going to take the curtains. And then the... Uh, the, the children, the offspring of Merari, they came in and they got all the boards, all the posts, all the pegs, all the cords, all the bases at the bottom of those posts and all the sockets that sat on top of those posts. And I, I can just imagine, are any of you guys ex-military? Anybody in here? No ex-military folks in the building at all? Okay, well I'll have to rely on your, your, your past history of watching MASH to understand this then. Uh, but you know they had to categorize all that stuff. You know, there, there are 60 silver sockets of a half shekel apiece. And when we get to where we camp the next time, there better be 60 half shekels of silver sockets when we get there. And there's got to be so many cords, and there's got to be so many pegs, and there's got to be so many boards, and there's, there's, there's 60 of those posts. And you better not lose one of those posts, because if we get there and we're a post short, God's going to be mad. 
And so they, they gathered up the posts and the boards and they loaded those on the wagons that, that God told Moses to provide. Uh, and I, here's, here's my question for you today. Who, and, and believe it or not, I, I'm going to go close here in just about seven minutes. My question for you today is who cares about posts? Who cares about boards? Who cares about pegs and pillars? Who cares about curtains and coverings? Who cares? It's just It's not exciting, brother David Hill. It's not exciting. Who who cares? Here's what I want you to understand. The tabernacle could not go forward if there weren't people that cared about the mundane. The program of God could not go forward unless there were people that were willing to pick up the burden of the posts, pillars, boards, and curtains. I think we have misunderstood what burden is. Or maybe I have. So just let me tell you how I've misunderstood burden for probably 20 years until the last few. I've prayed and asked God for a greater burden. Has anybody ever prayed and asked God for a greater burden? Anybody in this room besides me? Okay, all right. After I asked you how many enjoyed reading the book of Numbers, y'all nervous to raise your hand now. But I've prayed, Brother Josh, I know you have. I've prayed, God, give me a greater burden. Because I was expecting some type of deep emotional heaviness. Just shake your head up and down if, you, if, you're, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. That's not what burden is. Burden is a deep sense of responsibility. Burden is the thought, I've got to do this because it's my responsibility. It is the, if I don't do it, it won't get done. It is this, somebody said it this way, if it's going to be, it's up to me. It is a sense of responsibility. If you're looking for God to, to give... And he, he might do it. He might, he might give you this weeping heaviness. But I have figured out in my life that what burden really is, is an urgency to do something. A responsibility to do something. And somewhere, those men, the offspring of Merari and Gershom, they got under the burden of the mundane. I mean, you, you just imagine this, Brother Tim. People are on this. Did I say seven minutes? Please forgive me. You can imagine the kids on the edge of this parade, Sister Daisy. They are looking for, what are they looking for? They're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Ain't nobody looking for the curtains. Ain't nobody going, hey, is there really 60 sockets in that bucket? Nobody's doing that, Brother Dennis. They're looking, where's the Ark of the Covenant? Oh, 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 look, there's the candlestick. Look, there's the candlestick. Maybe they'll throw candy next time. Because they don't care about that stuff. But if that stuff doesn't move, if there's not Merari and there's Gershom to carry those things, the program of God doesn't move. 
And if we are going to follow the presence of God, I want you to hear me, Glen Ferris Apostolic Church, we as a body need to have a responsibility and a burden to say when the presence of God is moving, I'm willing to do whatever gets laid on my shoulders because I want the program of God to go forward. Patton said this, They asked him about being a general. I believe it was Patton. And he said, I am a soldier and I will hold a horse until I'm told not to if that's what I'm told to do. I'm a five-star general. But if I'm told to hold a horse, I will hold a horse. God, whatever you want of me, that's what I am willing to do. So I'm going to ask you again, who cares about curtains? Who cares about coverings? Who cares about boards and pegs? All of Levi was important. All of the tribe was important. All of the people, every individual in the church is important. And then there's Kohath. Wait a minute, let me back up. I won't get get to Kohath yet. I'm sorry. I meant seven times two. I told the other ministers that we weren't going to have a fire starter because I wanted to preach long. Kohath, Merari, and Gershon. I'm going to talk to you about Merari and Gershon for a minute, just a minute longer. They're carrying things that are not flashy. They're, they're, not, they're not coveted after, but they are vital. And I, it is my prayer that we will be a church of folks that will look around and say, you know what, I've got a burden to do this, even though it's not flashy and maybe nobody will ever know my name. I want to publicly apologize to some folks. I want to publicly apologize. David Hill, you have come to me multiple times and said, Pastor, if there's anything that I can do, let me know. I want to be a help. I'm going to do my very best, Brother David, to give you a list of stuff that you can do. I'm absolutely serious. And I pray there's 20 other people that come to me before the week is over that say, Pastor, whatever you've got for me to do, that's what I, I want to put my shoulder underneath a stave and carry whatever God wants me to carry. I, I want to... I wanna, fold up whatever needs folded up. I want to press whatever needs pressed. I want to carry whatever needs carried. Amen. Because everybody wants... Can I say what I feel like saying? Everybody wants to be Aaron. Everybody wants to be Aaron. Aaron's the one with the censer. He's cool. Who cares about the curtains? Is there anybody that cares about the curtains? All of Levi was important. And then Gershom, Merari, Kohath. They were the offsprings of, of, of Levi. And then there's Kohath. Merari and Gershom. They're, they're carrying stuff that, that nobody cares about. Kohath is carrying stuff that's vitally important, but they never get to see it. When they show up, the golden candlestick's already wrapped in fabric. When they show up, the Ark of the Covenant's already covered with a curtain. And they tell them, hey, carry this, but you can't touch it, and you'll never see it. And this is what I think that represents in the church. 
I think that represents intercessors who are so vitally important to carry the holy things of God. And nobody, you can't name me one Kohathite. You'll know their names. But they had a responsibility, Brother Tex. Brother Tex, thank you for being so faithful as an usher. Thank you, sir. God bless you. He's got a burden. He's got a desire. You know what? Well, I'm just up here talking, so I'll just keep on talking. It was 90 degrees, and Brother Tex was outside directing traffic because he wouldn't let anybody else do it. Why? Because he's got a burden. But he had a desire. He had a responsibility he felt there. God, send us folks. No, we're here. You don't have to send us anybody, God. But Lord, let us grab a hold of the burden that you want to place on our shoulders. God, I pray today that you'll raise up intercessors that are willing to get under the spiritual burden before every service, that they know it is their job to pray. Some of you have felt a burden of intercession and you know that you're used that way. This isn't for everybody in the room. Not everybody's a Kohathite, and that's okay. But there's folks in this room that God has placed a ministry of intercession on you. I want to tell you today, it's your job to be an intercessor for this church. If God's placed that weight on your shoulder, it's your job to be an intercessor in this church. And we're going to work together, Brother Pat and myself, and we're going to talk this out, and we're going to find a place for a ladies' prayer room, and we're going to find a place for a men's prayer room, and we're going to have folks that they know it's their job. Just like it's, a, it's Brother Pat's job to be on that base 30 minutes before service. Y'all with me right now? Just like Brother Pat's got this responsibility to play a bass 30 minutes before service, they're going to run through some songs. I want folks in this church that you know it's your responsibility to be in a prayer room because the service is depending on you. I want us to stand to our feet tonight. I've talked long enough. I feel like the Lord wants to do some, some talking tonight. I want to do this. The church has got to have everybody engaged to move forward. Let me say it this way. You've got to be engaged or you will be left behind. You've got to be engaged or you're going to be idle and you're going to find other things to do where God wants to lay something on your shoulder that you can carry for His glory. Because the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. I want to be part of it, don't you? Amen. Don't you want to be part of it? Why don't you lift your hands right now and begin to talk to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, in the book of Nehemiah, it says that the people had a mind to work. They took up their sword and they took up their tools and they began to work on the wall because they had a mind to work. God, give us a mind to work.